All right. Excellent. All right, we're going to dive into today's uh, message. I shared this last week, but I'm going to be sharing this for the next couple of weeks as we go. Uh, I got the chance about a week and a half ago to spend two nights up on the North Shore. One of my favorite things about living in Minnesota, that area of kind of Lutzen, Grand Marais, did a bunch of hiking and just really spent some time praying, God, hey, what do you have for our church kind of in this next year as we walk out of this season of COVID and into what's next? And, and this is what I really feel, felt like God was, was sharing with me and what is me kind of one of our themes for this next year. It's this idea of ending spectator Christianity by equipping and empowering every follower of Jesus. Ending spectator Christianity by equipping and empowering every follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are created by God, we believe God has more for you than just to sit back and observe. And there's a lot of great churches out there, but the sad thing is a lot of churches are filled with people who are just kind of in spectator mode. And we've talked before, it's a whole lot better to be on a championship team than just watching one and observing it. Our baseball team, we got second in our tournament. And that was way more exciting to be part of the coaching staff and be involved in a championship team rather than just being a spectator. So what does that mean exactly? Well, empowering. The dictionary says to give someone authority to do something, to make stronger and more confident. That's one of my goals for this next year is that you would feel you have authority to do something to make stronger and more confident, and also equipping, to supply with the necessary items for a particular purpose, to make ready. I believe this next year that God is calling us to do things for him. You know, I I don't know when when Jesus is going to come back and kind of all this thing, but I do believe we are in a season now where God wants us to kind of get off our behinds and start getting ready to do some things. And so my job and our job as a church is to help empower you and to equip you to do that. As I was thinking about our church and kind of, you know, like I said, there's a lot of great churches around here and each church is different and each church is unique. But here at Mosaic, we're not a big box. We don't own our own building. We're not, you know, just some place where you come in and it's just, you know, sit in the back row. Well, we're more like a food truck. Can a food truck change a community? Yes. You get that taco truck to show up and people are eating tacos and there's music and there's community. Can that do good? Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're here for good. We're like a taco truck. That's what I want us to think about. We may pop up in different locations. This is our fifth location in five years. We're a food truck. We're not some big box store, but this is who we are. And that's okay. We're embracing it. There's a lot of great big box churches around us, other opportunities. That's not who we are. We're more like a food truck. All right, this has been our theme kind of Bible passage uh, for this whole series. I'm going to ask you actually to stand for the reading of God's word, and then we're going to dive into our last message on the life of Moses. Hebrews 11:23 through 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkling the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the story of Moses and this ancient story of how you called up a deliverer 
to rescue a people who are in slavery and in bondage and to lead them into freedom. God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to lead us out of sin and slavery and addiction and bondage into freedom that only comes through you. So tonight, I pray, God, that each and every one of us, we'd hear the message that you need to hear, that our hearts would be filled with encouragement, that we'd walk out of here inspired, equipped, empowered. God, I pray you would step into my body to speak through my mouth, just to give the words of hope that everyone in here needs to hear tonight. In your name we pray, amen. You can take a seat. If you're taking notes, and I encourage you to take notes on your little note app in your uh, phone. Sometimes we hand out note sheets. Uh, we haven't done that for a couple months. Uh, but if you want to write down a title, uh, it's this. You got to go unless you get a no. You got to go unless you get a no. Uh, here's the thing. If, if, you, uh, if you hear it, if you see it and you write it down, you're more likely to get those spiritual truths into your heart. And we don't want to just give you some information. We want to help you have a life of transformation. And my goal is to not say anything on Sunday that you can't apply on Monday. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. You got to go unless you get a no. I grew up here in Maple Grove. Um, and we would go to uh, the, the community pools at the YMCA, uh, at uh, New Hope Pool. And I got to be honest, as a little kid, I wasn't one of those kids that was gifted with a whole lot of courage. Uh, that just wasn't me. Kind of the opposite. I had a little bit more of cowardness in me. My best friend growing up, Dan Brown, was the opposite. The first time we were on rollerblades, uh, going to, uh, you know, I forget if it was roller gardens or cheapskate, you know, I'm like barely going. I got my probably knee pads on and elbow pads. And Dan Brown is like racing around and then learning how to jump like his first time on rollerblades. That's Dan Brown. The first time we went skiing, I think it was in fifth grade, and, you know, we get our little skiing lesson, and I'm, like, making sure I'm wedging and slowly, and Dan just, you know, finds a, a blue square and just bombs it all the way down. You know, that's, that's Dan Brown. Well, I remember this one time. We're at the community pool, and we're swimming, and they kind of had the, the high dive, you know what I'm talking about? And then they have kind of the low dive. Well, I'm wired up a little bit more cautious, and so it's like that high dive life is not for me. And so that low dive, it's like, hey, the great thing about this there's, uh, you know, not much of a line for the low dive. And so, you know, I'd, I'd get up and go as many times as I want, you know, get on, on, on the low dive and then kind of step bloop, into the water. You know, it wasn't much of a, of a leap. And then, you know, all the other kids are on the high dive board and they're kind of elbowing each other as they're getting their way up to the high dive and time after time. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm not about that high dive life. That's, that, I, I can't do that. Well, eventually, I think I was like in junior high and it's like swimming with my buddy Dan. And it's like, okay, ah. I've got to try this. And so kind of get my courage up and I'm kind of ashamed of maybe my lack of courage. And so I get in line for the high dive and I'm like, oh no, I don't know if I can do this. But the reality is it's like, I have all the evidence I need. I'm not going to die. Like I've seen little girls like jump off the high dive and they're okay. So it's like, I'm probably going to be okay, right? Like I haven't seen anyone die going off the high dive. So, okay. So I'm in line and my heart's pounding. I get to the top of that diving board and everyone else, they kind of just went right off the edge of the diving board. And I was like, when I got to the top, I was like, this is so skinny. It felt like I was on a balance beam. It's like, man, like what in the world? And I looked down on either side and there's concrete. And I was like, I'm going to be the first kid who's going to fall off, hit my head and die. And uh, that's what happened. That was the end of my story. I died when I was 13 years old. Uh, not really. But I get to the top and, and I look down and it seemed like such a long distance. I don't know if you've ever been on a high dive board. And the first time looking down, it seems like it is so far to the water. And I was like, I can't do this. This is too scary. So I turn around. I'm, I'm going back down. I don't care. I'm going back down the ladder. And, but you know who's behind me? 
my buddy Dan Brown. And he's like, no way. There's only one way you're getting off this high dive board. He's like, you're so mean. So, you know, finally it's like, take that step off and you know, I'm in the water. I'm looking up and it's like, there's the top of the water all around, you know, and finally get to break the surface. And it's like, oh, I survived. I didn't die, you know, and, and it was so much fun. Here's the thing. I think a lot of us, we are content with that low dive lifestyle. And we're just stepping off and it's not much of a risk. But God, I believe, is calling us to jump off that high dive. And I think some of us get upset at God because we get to that place of taking that step of faith and we're like, no, I'm backing out now. And he's standing there. He's like, there's only one way off this, this diving board. It's forward. And we're like, God, what are you doing? You're so mean. No, it's because he doesn't want us to settle for that low diving board. He has more for us. And so tonight, I want to talk about that life of faith and how we are called to take that step, even when it seems scary. We've been talking about Moses. Moses, he grew up in the palace. As a, 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 he, he was raised by Egyptians, even though he was actually Hebrew by birth. And so his skin color is a little different and he talks a little different. He's not sure which world he belongs to. And then he, he kills this Egyptian uh, slave uh, lord. And then he, he buries the body, then he gets, he gets caught. So he runs, and then he's been in, in running for 40 years. 40 years in the palace, learning the best science, math, technology. 40 years in the desert, learning how to be a shepherd and, and, and find the water and all that stuff. He meets God in the burning bush, talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And God says, hey, I got, I got a big purpose for you. You're going back to Egypt. You're going to tell Pharaoh, you need to let my people go who are slaves and are in bondage. And so last week we talked about that, nine plagues and the 10th plague came and is the death of the firstborn son. So that's where we're kind of picking up our story tonight. When we go back before Moses though, we look at the start of our story. In Genesis, we see that God created man to be with him and to be in perfect peace with each other, with God and creation. But then we mess up. And sin enters the world. And the next, the first kind of 11 chapters of Genesis are about how we just keep messing up. And so God says, okay, I'm going to now invite someone new. I'm going to call him out so that I can, this new family can be a blessing. And so in Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3, we read this. Now the Lord said to Abram, he's going to become Father Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God calls out Abram out of the land, probably near Babylon, Iraq. Says, go to where I'm going to show you. I'm going to bless you. Why? So that you will be a blessing. You're going to be a great nation. Now, what's fascinating is if you turn back a little bit in your Bibles to chapter 11, we first meet Abram and we see that his wife Sarai is barren. She can't have kids. How's that going to work? You're going to be a great nation when she can't have kids. And so, but by faith they go and God miraculously blesses them with children in their old age. And they have Isaac. And then Isaac has Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob has the 12 sons. And Joseph gets sold down, the second youngest, to slavery in Egypt. And that's how then the people of Israel found themselves in Egypt. And so they've been... They were blessed, but then after a couple hundred years, these immigrants, the people in power, were, were quite worried about them. 
And so put them in, cha- in chains and, and bondage. And so now God is calling this nation out. And here's what we see in chapter 12. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. This is kind of what we talked about last week with Passover. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. I think this is fascinating. Pharaoh, the king, he's finally said, go get out of here. Go worship God and bless me on your way out. That promise to Abraham of, hey, you're going to be a great nation and I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And now even Pharaoh is saying, hey, hey, bless me. And so the people of Israel, they, they get gold and silver from the Egyptians and, and they go out and then they reach this roadblock and they're on the Red Sea. And maybe you maybe know the story, maybe you don't, but then Pharaoh changes his mind. He's chasing after the Israelites and, and God parts the Red Sea and he miraculously leads them through with a, a, a pillar of fire on the other side and, and God delivers them out of the sea to the other side. And it's like, yay, God has rescued us and delivered us and now we're going to be a new nation. And so Moses then goes to meet on Mount Sinai with God. See, here's the thing. They've been slaves for a couple hundred years. And the problem is they don't know how to be a nation. They don't have any rules or regulations themselves. And so Moses is going to go up onto Mount Sinai to meet with God, to learn how do we be a nation? How do we take care of people? What's kind of our code of conduct? And so the Israelites are waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. You ever been that season of waiting, waiting for God to do something, waiting for COVID to be over, waiting for whatever it might be. And they get a little impatient. So like, hey, here's what we're going to do all this kind of gold and silver that we got from the Egyptians, we're going to melt it down and we're going to create our own God. And so what they did is they made a golden calf. They said, all right, we, we, Moses is off meeting with God. Maybe he's forgot about us, but this is the God who rescued us out of slavery and bondage. And Moses comes down and he's like, what are you guys doing? And he, the first copy of the Ten Commandments, he smashes them to the ground and, and he punishes people and it's not good. And and we see this issue of the Israelites and they wander away and they, they, they misbehave and they grumble and they complain until finally, the, really towards the end of the book of Exodus, what happens is God says, you know, I'm done. These people, like, I can't handle it. I feel like it's like a parent some days with your kids and it's like, I've had it, I'm done, no more. That's what I was the other night with Kristen. We both have those nights where it's like, you do bedtime. I'm washing my hands. That's where God was at. He's like, I'm done. You guys can go to the promised land, but I'm not gonna go with you. And so that's kind of now, let's pick up our story there. Chapter 33. Now Moses used to take the tent, that's like the tabernacle, and pitch it outside the camp, far from the, off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which is outside the camp. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. I'll take a little pause here. This is one of the reasons we're talking about Joshua next month. I love this story. It's a little verse at the end of Exodus. Moses would go to meet with God in the tent of meeting and and say, what are I supposed to do? And then he'd meet with God and then Moses would leave. What would Joshua do? Joshua would stay behind. He's like, "I, I need to learn more. 
I need to grow. See, Joshua was this assistant. Joshua was waiting. He knew he was called to be this great leader. Someday he's going to follow up Moses, one of the best leaders of all time. And Joshua knew, okay, I can't do this in my own strength. He's going to be the one who actually leads the people into the promised land. And this great military leader and, and, and just all these things. And so what did Joshua do? While he's in this season of waiting, he's going to meet with God. He's going to press in. He's going to learn all he can. And my encouragement is, is maybe you're 11 years old. <laughs> you know, maybe you're just in a season of you're an assistant or you're waiting to step out into leadership. That a season of waiting should never be a season that's wasted. Use this time. Meet with God. Learn all you can. Joshua, he was right by the side of Moses, learning all he could. So that when he was called into leadership, he was ready for that moment. So perhaps right now, again, maybe you're not the boss. Maybe, you know, you're not a parent yet. Whatever that is, you're in this season of waiting for what's next. Be like Joshua. If you're 11 years old, if you're 21 years old, if you're 61 years old, and you're still in a season of waiting, be like Joshua and continue to wait on God, continue to learn and grow. All right, that's my little side note for there. And so Moses, he kind of argues with God. He's like, God, we can't go to the promised land without you. We need you with us. And so here's what God says to him. He said, all right, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. He's like, all right, all right. I'll come with you into the promised land. And so they go into the promised land and Joshua leads them there. And we're gonna talk all about that uh, in the month of August. And, but the problem is within a few generations, these former slaves become this new nation. And before too long, they're not that much different than everyone else. And you can read how they actually started having their own slaves and using slave labor to build up their kingdom. And they were supposed to be this blessing and this light to the nations. And they kind of failed at that. They had some good kings and some bad kings. And eventually they're all led away to the Babylonian kingdom. And after that, really, they were just kind of under the bondage and another rule of Babylon and the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. And they weren't living up to that potential of being a blessing, of being a light to the nations. And so it's like, what are we going to do? How are we going to live this out? And God said he's going to be with us, but how are we going to show that to the rest of the world? And then 2,000 years ago, Jesus is born and he's given the name Emmanuel with his God, with us. And Jesus lives the perfect sinless life that we're called to live, but we just can't. And then he goes to the cross to pay the price for our sins and to pay the price that we should have paid so that all now can be made clean and fresh in Jesus and adopted into his family. And Jesus rises from the dead, showing that he has power over sin and bondage and slavery. And one of the final things he says to his disciples is this. Matthew 28, 19. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, go. You can all translate this as you're going in your ordinary everyday life. Make disciples. We talk about that, that word Talmudim, it's an apprentice of Jesus. Go make disciples. See, Jesus calls us for movement. Movement brings life. God wants us to move. We're not designed to just stay stagnant and not do anything. God calls us to go. That is how we know that God wants us to step off that high dive board 
into movement, into life, not just sitting back passively waiting for things to happen. And some of us, we're wired up differently. Like my wife and I talk about this a lot. I have a bias towards action. She has a bias towards inaction, non-action. But all of us are called to move in life. Movement brings life. God wants us to move. See, doing is what makes the difference. Many of us, followers of Jesus, the problem is we get educated beyond our level of obedience. We learn, we listen to podcasts, we read books. But do we actually do it? Do we live it out? That is the message of Jesus. It's not just about learning, it's doing. Doing makes the difference. So the problem is, I think sometimes some of us, maybe we live in our heads or introverts, whatever, and maybe we have a conflict with someone, but we, we kind of work it out in our heads and we're like, okay, well, I, I understand why this and it's fine. But you haven't actually done the thing of going to that person to say, hey, I think there's something between us. What's going on? How do we make this right? And have that tough conversation. Or our neighbor, we see them getting older and we think, oh, we should do something to help them out. But we don't, do we actually go next door and say, hey, can I help mow your lawn? Can I collect or rake up your leaves? Can I pick up a, some meal for you? Or we see a new mom or uh, maybe they have twins or a single baby. And you think, oh, you know, it would be really good. I, I should go do something for them. But what really matters is saying, hey, Kim, can I come over and hold your baby so you can take a nap? Like, praise God, what an amazing gift that is. Can I bring you some groceries? Like, it's one thing just to think about it, but actually doing is what makes the difference. So tonight, I want you to ask yourself, what's your bold move that God is calling you to do? What is that next step? Perhaps it's getting baptized. Perhaps it's going to your neighbor and just introducing yourself. Maybe it's just sharing the hope of your faith with a coworker that you know is struggling. Maybe it's deleting your Facebook profile. That's what you need to do. I don't know. Well, what is your bold move of faith? So you got to go unless you get a no. Eric, what do you mean by that? Okay, let's look at that. See, the goal is not just to know all about Jesus. That's good. We want to know about Jesus. We want to read the Gospels and get steeped in what Jesus did and, and learn about him. But it's to join with Jesus in his kingdom work. That is what matters. We talked about this last fall, but these are some categories of what Jesus did. If we are apprentices of Jesus, if we want to be followers of Jesus, we have to do the things that he did. See, here's the thing. I think too often in church and religious life, we boil down church and, and the Christian life to simply learning a few things about God, going to church, serving once a month, and that's it. And the problem is our teenagers, our millennials, I can say that because I'm a Gen Xer, are leaving the church because it's not a bold enough vision. It's not a compelling vision. It's not enough. And so we have to say, no, followers of Jesus, there's more to that. Here's the things that Jesus did. And if we want to be like Jesus, we should be doing these things. Now, don't get all, you know, uh, have an anxiety fit over this. We don't have to do it tomorrow. But if we want to be like Jesus, then we should be doing these things. What is that? Preaching the gospel. That's saying, hey, there's grace and forgiveness found only through Jesus Christ. Teaching the way, hey, truly, I believe the better way to live is a life of generosity, of service, of community, of, of showing hospitality, of offering forgiveness and grace and starting your day connecting with Jesus and your creator, healing the sick, celebrating mourning with friends, whether they have new babies or they had a, a miscarriage or their parents celebrated 50 years of marriage or their dad just passed away. That's what we saw Jesus do, eating and drinking with people far from God. People who would just have questions, we saw Jesus, he loved a good party. 
casting out demons, peacemaking. I said this this morning, so I'll say it here. I was like, I don't know if I will. Social media, <laughs> we should be bringing peace. If you're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and you're not a peacemaker, delete your account, okay? <laughs> we shouldn't be trolls, not trolls for Jesus. That, that, you don't need to be devil's advocate. The devil's got enough advocates, all right? We're called to be a peacemaker, praying, blessing little children. Jesus, he was busy, but what? He always had time for kids. Hey, let the ki- little children come to me. Standing up against religious and political corruption. It's using our voice to say, hey, that's wrong. We're going to speak up for those who don't have a voice, who don't have power. These are things that you and I are called to do. Okay, let's take off healing the sick and casting out demons because we can argue about, uh, are we going to do that? Is Jesus gonna, okay, whatever. But the rest of us, the other eight, we can do these things. All right? We can be peacemakers. We can be prey. We can bless little children. How amazing would it be if every single one of us took turns serving back in kids' ministry? And I know some of you are like, ah, I'm a grandparent now. I don't want to do that. I know. But we can bless little children. Even if you don't serve in kids' ministry, before and after. We have a lot of kids in this church. And they can be a little chaotic. We have some boys. They give us a run for our money. But you know what? We welcome them. We bless them. And you know what? As they get older, and we invite them into the worship team and running cameras and doing different things, we give them a compelling vision. Hey, following Jesus is not about just a church service. It's about preaching the gospel. It's about teaching the way. It's about celebrating the morning with, with friends. It's eating and drinking with people who are far from God. It's about being a peacemaker. It's praying. It's blessing little children. It's standing up against religious and political corruption. It's giving people a bigger vision for their life. So the goal is not just to know all about Jesus. It's to join with Jesus in his kingdom work. You might be asking, well, okay, but what's, what's God's will for my life? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? So I think so many of us, we operate like we have this big no, and we're waiting for Jesus to tell us yes. But the reality is the opposite. Jesus says, yes, go, unless you get a no. Because here's the thing. You might be like, okay, well, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to maybe mentor this young mom or this lady or this teenager, but, you know, maybe someone else is called to do that. If you start meeting with them, invite them over for coffee, and open up the book of John, God's not going to be like, oh, no, no, no. Chris, you're not supposed to do that. That's supposed to be Anne. <laughs> or if you're like, well, I don't know. Am I supposed to bring a, a meal to this new mom, to Chelsea, who just had a baby like two, three weeks ago? Or maybe someone else will do that. No, that's okay. You're not going to step on someone else's toes if you do something good too. See, I'm going to read Philippians, how we normally read it. And then I think how maybe Paul actually meant us to read it. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace be with you. I grew up in an awesome Christian family. And the lens, though, I think I typically read this through was, okay, the TV shows, the books I read, are they true? Are they honorable? Are they just? Are they lovely? And that's part of it. But I think Paul's talking about something bigger than just the media we consume. I think it's, it's about God's will. And here's kind of how I think Paul is saying. Finally, brothers, hey, whatever is true, think about it. Do those things. Hey, whatever is honorable, that's in God's will. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. These are things to think about. Do them. Live them out. We don't have to get so concerned that there's just one path, one thing that's God's will for my life. It's, hey, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, pure, lovely, commendable. Do these things. 
And what's the promise Paul gives us here at the bottom? And the God of peace will be with you. The same promise he gave to the Israelites, Jesus clothed in flesh, God with us, the God of peace will be with you. As we step into anything that's lovely, anything that's honorable, just pure, that is God's will for your life. It's not just waiting around for this one thing. How can you know you're making the right decisions? Every time you step into a decision fueled by faith, you're making the right decision. Every time you step into a decision fueled by hope, you're making the right decision. Every time you step into a decision fueled by love, you're making the right decision. I don't want us to get so caught up in this one thing. What's my, God's will for my life? This one thing I'm supposed to do. No. Unless you get a specific no, it's to go. The goal is not just to know about Jesus. It's to join with Jesus in his kingdom work. We need a more compelling vision or our kids are going to grow up walking away from the faith. We're going to get bored with this. We're going to continue to lose a generation. I remember a long time ago, when I was a youth pastor in Colorado preaching a message that, you know, unless things change, and it's called more than four, that the statistics showed that, you know, only about 4% of millennials would be churchgoers, you know, in the next 10 to 20 years. And we need to change things. And the most recent statistics have come out, and it's about 4% of millennials are regular engaged churchgoers. And we saw the trends 10, 15 years ago, and we didn't do anything to change it. Because I think we didn't give people a compelling vision. It's not just about politics and, you know, uh, wearing the right clothes or whatever, just coming to church. It's about joining with Jesus and bringing his kingdom work, about making a difference. You got to go unless you get a no. I get together with a group of pastors here in Maple Grove about once a month, and it's been neat again to talk about how can we help this city and, and on the same team. And then there's a group of us, uh, part of our denomination, church planners from around the Twin Cities, and we get together about once a month as well, uh, usually at Pizza Ranch now that COVID's over, and Thursday we got to do that. And one of the pastors, Eric, was sharing some stories, and he was just really convicting a lot of us that, hey, just go. And one of the things he was sharing is that they've just launched a whole bunch of sites, basically pop-up churches in different locations. Uh, and now they have 14 different sites of their churches. And they had one in Brooklyn Park. And during COVID, when they hit, their pastor, his name was Mike. He was like, I'm kind of over the Zoom thing. You know, I, I don't know what to do. And I was like, I totally get that. And so uh, Eric asked Mike, hey, what do you want to do? He's like, this is right after George Floyd and, and all the unrest. And he's like, I just want to go up to North Minneapolis and just talk about Jesus and tell people about the hope of Jesus. Go, go do it. I'll pay you to do that. So he goes down there and he starts talking about Jesus. A couple weeks later, he's got four or five people with him, just handing out some waters, talking about Jesus. And they found out a guy in their church owned a building in North Minneapolis and uh, had about a 20 foot hole in the roof, had a rat problem, very big rat problem, uh, water damage, but no one was using it. And so they said, hey, can we use this building? And sure, I don't care. I'm not using it for anything. So Mike and these five guys, they used the church copier and printed off a bunch of flyers and just handed them out to North Minneapolis and just said, hey, next Sunday night, we're going to do a pig roast and come for some free food. And so about 100 people show up and they're eating and it's great. And Mike gets up and says, hey, my buddy Josh is here and he's got his cruise guitar. Do you mind if he just sings two worship songs? And we're like, I'm eating, I don't care. And so, so they sing two songs and then Mike gets up and he says, hey, do you mind if I talk about Jesus a little bit? This is the book of John and... Sure, I don't care. He talks about Jesus. 
and who Jesus is and why he came and he came to bring justice and hope and peace and reconciliation. At the end, Mike stands up and just says, hey, if we do this next week, same thing, food, couple songs, talk about Jesus. How many of you guys would want to come back? Every single hand went up. And a year later, uh, they do a community meal, five o'clock. About 300 people they feed every single week. And about 100 people stick around, worship Jesus, learn more about him. Because Mike said he's going to go until he gets a no. And it wasn't any strategic decision to go to North Minneapolis. And you know, a guy with an acoustic guitar and Mike and his Bible just talking about Jesus. No kids ministry, nothing fancy. And a church was born. And that was so compelling and convicting to me. We've been asking during this series when Moses is holding his staff and God says, what's in your hand? And I've been asking that question is, what's in our hands? We have some really gifted, talented people. What's in our hands? Some of you own buildings. Some of you own a lot of wealth. Some of you have talents of teaching and gifting. And I've been praying about that. And so just some ideas, you know, hey, maybe we'll start some kind of training, equipping school. Uh, not accredited, but hey, we're just going to get together maybe on Wednesday nights and, and have some people teach theology and mission. And maybe at the end of two years, we send out people to go start another uh, church plant. I don't know. Ministry leaders, um, uh, uh, small group leaders, whatever they might be. Maybe we launched some sites. Uh, for about four years now, we've been invited. You know, we had the opportunity, hey, go start a, a church in the trailer park uh, in Corcoran in, in, in the Mobile Hope community. We just haven't because I haven't wrapped my head around how do we do that. But maybe the next year we show up with some food, someone with a cruise guitar, talk about Jesus. I don't know. But I do know that we're called to go. I know God's will for you and me isn't just to stand around doing nothing. And we all have something in our hands. And God's saying to go unless you get that no from him. And so some, some next steps for some of us. Get baptized. It's that step of saying, hey, baptism is what joins us together. We have a lot of people who voted for Biden. We have a lot of people who voted for Trump. We have a lot of people in our church who said, I can't vote for either one of these. But you know what? Our baptism unites us way more than our politics divide us. Amen? Amen. We come to the table. We come to this table because we're united in Christ. So that's what baptism is all about. Do the green book. uh, I'm doing that now with about four people. It's a discipleship opportunity. It's been really neat just for 15 weeks to sit down and go through some truths of the scripture. My hope is that everyone in the church eventually does that. We just sit face to face and ask questions and share our hearts. Maybe you feel stern and you want to do that. Invite someone to journey with you. Maybe it, it, it's, it's early morning. Maybe a group of teenagers want to gather at McDonald's for breakfast at 9 a.m. Or, you know, maybe it's inviting someone over to your house and just talking through how are you doing life with other people. Sign up to serve somewhere. Do something. Become a partner. Just say, hey, I, I'm in. What's my next steps? I believe movement brings life and we're called to go. And I get it. We're busy. We have lots of stuff. Kids and work and all that stuff. But we're going to fill up our calendars no matter what. Let's make sure we carve out some time for the things of Jesus. So our kids and our nieces and our nephews and our grandchildren see a compelling vision that Jesus really matters to us and that we really truly love and serve other people. I'm going to pray and then Josh Myers is going to come up and is going to lead us through some communion and our band's going to lead us through another song. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you. 
for your word. Thank you that you are here with us. And God, I pray just as we receive communion, God, that we come to the table and just let go of the things we're holding on to and just receive your love and grace and just be reminded that we are your children. In your name we pray, amen.